you will, open your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 21. Again, uh, Romans 15, we'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 21. Uh, believe it or not, uh, uh, my plan is to complete uh, this particular study in two sermons. And so uh, we'll move forward from here, already making plans uh, into the first quarter of 2019 as to where we're going to be in terms of uh, our sermon series. And so we see once again the Apostle Paul addressing the church in Rome, a church that he had not planted and not even visited, but he wanted to go there as a part of his mission endeavors to press westward uh, into Spain. And so he writes to them and writes them uh, one of the longest uh, theological uh, treatments of the gospel to be found in the entirety of the Bible, that being the first 12 chapters of Romans. And then he speaks to how these realities related to the working of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, namely, how does the gospel impact how we live together as the new covenant people of God. And so he takes time now to speak to us and to speak to us about our unity in the gospel, our diversity as we come from many, many different places and we, we are of, of different ages and different ethnic groups and on and on and on it goes. And so the church should legitimately be a place of diversity that is united with one voice confessing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the sake of ministry to one another and far beyond the one another's that gather together. And so it is the, Lord, the, the world in looking at us that will desire to hear this message as we live out together and live out as we depart from one another this great reality, these these powerful applications and implications of the gospel. So if you will, let's, let's read these verses and we'll come back and work through them more closely. Again, first, excuse me, Romans uh, chapter 15 and verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him with the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. Then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonder, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Pray with me. Father, once again we thank you for your truth. Your spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to give us these words so long ago. And God, in your omniscience, you knew that they would always be applicable to your people. And so we ask that your Spirit work in us today. Give us first of all understanding and then a heart for obedience and application of these things to our lives. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you follow kind of the broad flow of the book of Romans, you understand that as Paul moves into this section of application, he begins with the exhortation of the believer living as a living sacrifice. That, that in view of the greatness of the gospel and the gift of salvation, that seems to be what would be reasonable. And that truth works its way out in a, a life of obedience, of reverence toward God, but of also of love for one another. That the, the law is actually fulfilled or being fulfilled as we obey it in terms of our love for one another. In other words, the law instructs us as to how we treat each other. It commands certain behaviors and prohibits other behaviors so that we may live together 
And so we're to live this life of love. And the gospel has such a great power to unify us that we're able as very different people coming from very different backgrounds. And I've often said this, at one level, the home that my wife Dale grew up in and the home that I grew up in are very similar until you start living together as a man and wife and you find out that you have very differing opinions as to how that household should be run. So she came from one culture and I came from another culture even though they really were very much alike. Well, think of that magnified hundreds, even thousands of times over as we come from many different frameworks, many different desires, many different needs. And guess what? Many different ways in which we've been hurt and damaged as we come in to the church. And so there, there are many things that when we come together, guess what? We rub each other the wrong way. And it's not always suck it up buttercup, okay? Sometimes we do need to hug one another and say, I get it. I get, I get why you're hurting. I, I, get the, I get why you don't like this and disagree with that. But yet, instead of fracturing in a thousand different directions as a, a church can so frequently do, we find that because we hold Jesus near and dear that we can serve and worship and work and love together. You know, it's really not hard to love people that are very much like you and want the same things. What is hard is to love those that are just a little more odd than you are. Okay? And I'm kind of the standard as to what's odd and what's not, so where does that put y'all? Okay? So, Christ, first of all, is our example. Paul's exhortation, based on the reality of the incarnate work of Jesus Christ, he says to us that we are under an obligation. The gospel obligates us. What we have received freely creates an obligation within us to bear. Now, now again, I read an English Standard Version. And I'm not sure that I like the way the tra this particular translation nuances this. Notice the phrase, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. When I read that, I think of our sinful failings. And that may be what's in view. Now, and in our culture, what that gives way to is that we have to affirm every idiotic, and aberrant behavior. And folks, that's not what the Bible affirms to us, okay? So that's not what it, it means there. In fact, the New American Standard translates it this way, way. We're to bear with the weakness of those without strength. If we look back to the context of the preceding chapters, we see that what Paul has in mind primarily historically, and again, it applies to us, 2018, almost 2019, Clay, Alabama, is this business 
of those that are culturally and ethnically and biologically Jews and those that are not, namely Gentiles, coming together in the new people of God. And they are a very different people, historically separated by many issues and always animosity between those two groups. And so what he's saying is that the Jews were bringing certain sensibilities into the church. And in some sense, maybe even the Gentiles were bringing certain cultural sensitivities in the church. And that we need to understand that which is important, and even sometimes what's important in a certain situation may slightly change in another situation. Now, I'm not teaching or advocating what was called back in the 70s situation ethics. I'm not talking about sliding morality, okay? But what I'm talking about has to do with cultural types of practices. And again, uh, we saw and can see in both Romans and in 1 Corinthians this discussion about what was appropriate to eat and what shouldn't be eaten and how it was prepared and where, where it was slaughtered and how it was cooked and all of these different things. And so the Apostle Paul says that, that and notice he, he puts himself as culturally, ethnically, biologically a Jew, but he identifies himself as one of the strong, that he can overlook Gentile lifestyle, cultural lifestyle choices, not moral lifestyle choices, but again, what they eat and so forth. He can overlook that. Okay? And so that is what we're to do, that many times we're asked to simply overlook things. Everything does not require going to DEFCON 5. Okay? Everything does not require that. And it is not to please ourselves. In other words, you know, one of, you, know you can always think of a slogan or two. Probably one of mine would be, it ain't about you. It ain't about me. That, that is so many times. And, and you know, in, in the modern church, when you hear people discussing their church situation, well, it's not meeting my needs. It's not this. It's not that. It's all about my subjective evaluation as to my experience. Do I like it or do I not like it? And so Paul reminds us that this idea of the implications, the applications, the realities of the gospel as it's lived out in the life of the church, it's not just about pleasing ourselves, that we need to look at the sensibilities of others. Okay? And so he goes on, verse 2, that we're actually to please our neighbor and to build them up, or to build him up, as he, he says here in, in my translation. In other words, that, Instead of thinking, this is what I'd like to see, this is what I want, but what is it that would be edifying, encouraging, and useful for the spiritual growth, the spiritual maturing, the edification of those gathered around me? And so we're to think of it from that particular perspective. We're to build each other up. Now, let me, let me pause again and give it a bit of a qualifier that doesn't mean that we're always affirming everybody I, I don't spend a tremendous amount of time on you know social media and 
different things like that. But there's some really good materials out there. And again, you can go to our website and you see some links that you'll find some really good preachers and so forth and so on. And there's some junk out there that is absolutely horrible that you ought not waste your time listening to. Now again, they, they all got you know good-looking suits and ties and big old Bibles and $20 million jets. Mine's $30 million, so I'm, you know, my, my jet's $30 million jet. But these guys flying around on these $20 million jets, you don't need to listen to them. You need to listen to the guy that's got a $30 million jet. Now, I'm just saying there's so much junk out there. And here's where I'm going. When you come in and tell me what one of those yahoos said and affirm it, don't expect me to go, that's just great. I love it. I'm so glad. In other words, there's sometimes before something can be built up, there's got to be some tearing down. And that's never a pleasant experience. And again, you always, you know, Everything that I disagree with does not warrant my corrective, particularly in the moment, okay? Not everything that you disagree with deserves your corrective. But yet, this is not, not teaching that everything is equally true and everything needs to be equally affirmed among the people of God. But we are to be seeking to build each other up in what? The truth. That which is an accurate statement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, this whole business flows from the example of Christ there in verse 3. He didn't please himself. He came into the world and he suffered the reproach of all who hated God. That's a quote there. If you'll notice there in verse 3, the reproaches of those who reproach me Fell, uh, reproach you fell on me that's Isaiah 69 9 and it is that writer saying that that God was being reviled and so now Paul is applying it and saying Jesus Christ suffered at the hands of those who hate God now here's the thing many times believers will suffer at the hands of who those who hate God. And we're to, to learn how to, to live with that as an example of perseverance and endurance. Look at verse 4. That that which was written even in the Old Testament days was written for our instruction so that we may persevere so, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Word of God we may have hope. Sometimes you have to endure or persevere through days that are incredibly difficult and incredibly dark. And there doesn't seem to be an end in sight when we look temporally. But yet the Word of God teaches us there is ultimate and absolute hope. And His name is Jesus. And so we're encouraged by the Scriptures to endure I haven't done this in, in a long time and may never do it again. But uh, I used to, on occasion, uh, run some 5 and 10K uh, road races and never, never won one. Uh, one friend of mine told me when I ran one when I was about, I don't know how old it was, 28, 30 years old. They said, if I didn't slow down for 30 years, maybe I could place. And uh, 
one of those uh, races. That was a real word. Of it. Think about that one for just a minute. I know it went over all of y'all's heads. But, uh, but again, that was a real encouragement that uh, I was running like a 60-year-old was basically the gist uh, of it. But in these races, particularly the big ones, uh, there are people along the way that will hand you a little cup of water so you can strangle yourself while you're trying to run. And they'll give you kind of an attaboy. And it's amazing how encouraging, even people you don't know, you'll come through a go, go, go. You know, the, the, hit, the, the finish is right over the hill. Well, they're lying. It's 20 miles down the no. But still, it's, it makes you feel good. And sometimes in the church, we need to encourage. You know, it's kind of like that runner. that some, Don't you come sometimes, you don't have to nod your head. You're on your last leg. You come into the church, and the week has just about whipped you. And what you need is to somebody say, hey, you're almost finished. It's just around the bend. It's just over the hill. And on the basis of not some false promise, but on the basis of a true promise, finish the race. Endure. There is hope. This thing ultimately is not hopeless. It is hopeful. Okay? Alright. So, Christ didn't please Himself. In other words, He had all of heaven at His disposal. As Paul describes in Philippians 2, He humbled Himself. He entered our realm, not as a king, but as a servant, and left us the example of suffering at the hands of those who hate God. And so Paul's prayer is that the same God that worked in His Son, uh, Jesus Christ, would give us endurance and encouragement so that what? That we may live in harmony with one another. I think, this, yeah, I know it did. I know the word harmony came up in a previous chapter. And again, I'm not, I don't know much in the way of uh, music theory other than the Eagles were really a great band. And so uh, beyond that, I'm kind of lost. But notice he didn't say sing to, to, to live in unison. Now, unison would be singing the same note. He didn't ask us to sing all the same notes, did he? He said, us to, he, he said for us to sing notes that fit well and sound good together. So we can be a bit diverse. We don't come at everything exactly the same way. Don't all have the same ministry. Don't all have, have the, 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 the same ideas about ministry. But yet we can sing our notes. And by the power of the Spirit of God, it sounds good together. Okay? And so... We, we are to embrace that which is different and distinct about ourselves for the sake of the glorious diversity that is unified in the church of Jesus Christ. So we're to live in harmony for the glory of God. That, that we sound like a well-trained choir glorifying God not only in the way we sing, and you know, maybe that's one of the reasons singing is so important in the church, is that we, it is symbolic, when we join our voices together, it is symbolic of a whole bunch of different people 
coming together to together say, God, you are great. I am thankful. You have saved me from my sins. My desire is to live for you. We say that together. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Okay? And so, we're to do that for the glory of God and, and welcome each other. As, as God has welcomed us into his family, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done, he welcomes the unworthy as though they are worthy because they are worthy in Christ. And so he welcomes us in the family. So how are we to respond to others? We are to welcome them as we were welcomed, even though they're just a little bit different from you. Thank God. Uh, but not I know y'all thank God they're different from me. How about that? All right. So, Christ is our example of living a life of endurance, of encouragement, of bearing reproach, of bearing with the weakness for the glory of God. Second issue, verse 8. Christ is our hope. Paul wants us to understand that Jesus entered the world as a good Jew to fulfill every promise made under the old covenant. Everything from the seed of the woman to the blessing to the nation to the lion of the tribe of Judah to the king born as a child in Bethlehem and everything else. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every promise made to those patriarchs, that God's Word is true. But not only does it fulfill God's Word to the patriarchs, it also fulfills God's promises made throughout the Old Covenant that not only would He gather ethnic and biological and cultural and religious Jews, but He would gather people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from among the Gentiles, to be one people so that they may praise their God their Redeemer throughout the world. That is God's purpose in Christ. And Paul has said a lot about that particular issue. Remember Romans 9, 10, 11. God's Word hasn't failed. He's working out His purposes in our world right now. He's saving some Jews, but He's saving a heck of a bunch of Gentiles right now. And we ought to be glad He is. Okay? In fact, there's been kind of a hardness among the Jews until God finishes whatever work he's doing in the Gentiles and in fact what he's doing among the Gentiles is going to make those Jews sit up and smell the spiritual coffee and go wait a minute you're getting what belongs to us we want it we want our Messiah we want the one crucified in Jerusalem we want the one raised from the dead we want the one that fulfills the promises to our patriarchs we want the one returning one day on that white horse that's what we want so Christ is our hope and demonstrates the, the truthfulness of God, fulfilling God's promise, and that Jesus Christ is singularly, exclusively the Savior for the world. Two really good words, inclusive, exclusive. Is the gospel inclusive or is it exclusive? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. It is. It includes every single individual who will ever repent and believe, who will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to Him in repentance and faith. And it excludes everybody that won't. Yeah. 
the same gospel that saves God's people will stand as a testament against those who reject him. And so, again, Christ is ultimately our hope. Notice there again in verse 13. God, uh, Paul prays, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I concur with Solomon. It's all vanity. Chasing after the wind. Whatever you acquire, you'll probably, no, nah, you will. You'll leave it to an idiot. I'm sure my parents felt that way. Yeah. It's all vanity. It's, it's pointless. It's meaningless. As I've said a hundred times, Kansas had it right. We're just dust in the wind. All your money, not a, another minute. Bye. They were right that, that, again, there is no hope. Why? Because one day, your friends and family, if you outlive them, will gather beside your box. And they'll take that box, and somebody will have dug a hole for it. And that's it. That's it. It's over. Except for what? There's hope beyond the grave. There's hope beyond the grave. And that everything about this life has meaning in Christ. Nothing has meaning without Him. Everything has meaning with Him. That's pretty good stuff. That's pretty good stuff. And so, Paul's prayer is that the God who sent His Son into the world would fill you with a sense of joy and a peace. And a, and a, how many of y'all I sat there for a little bit Tuesday night, and by a little bit, I may have watched 10 minutes of election returns and thought, I can't, I'm not going to, I can't do this all night. I just, you know. And, and there are people that are all worked up that the Democrats have taken over the House of Representatives. Well, as many of you have seen, guess who's still on the throne? Guess who's still on the throne? And, and so... The Democrats aren't going to solve it any more than the Republicans are going to solve it. Okay? And, and so, I could be very uneasy. I'll tell you, I was leaving Mike's house uh, Friday, and he got a, a statement. And his thing was, I'm not going to look at it. Mike, I made the mistake of going home and looking at mine. My gosh. My gosh. And I could be very unsettled about all of that. But God, by His truth, by the power of the gospel, gives me a sense of joy and a sense of peace and that there is hope. And it's not that things are just going to all work out real well and we're all going to join hands and sing Kumbaya and walk off into the sunset. That all things ultimately will be made right. That every sickness and every death will be defeated one day. Every type of adversity and sorrow and affliction of which we know far too much about it these days will be crushed at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're to encourage each other with that word of hope. 
And finally, the third thing I want you to see this morning. In verses 14 through 21, not only is Christ our example, Christ is our hope, Christ is our ministry. Paul writes that he was satisfied over the doctrinal soundness of the Roman church. That's an interesting thing. Because that's not exactly what he said to the Corinthians, to Timothy in Ephesus, to uh, Titus in Crete, to those in Colossae, to those in Galatia. Uh, he kind of straightened those folks out. And, but yet, he, he, he's confident of them, but he's also, I've instructed you very pointedly. What has he talked about? Well, the truth of the gospel, being justified by God's grace through faith, the reality of depravity of all men, the, 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 the working out of God's plan among the Jews and the Gentiles and how we're to live together. Now, you may not think those things are pretty, very pointed, but they are. They are. And so he's written to them very boldly so that they may know some things, that they may be instructed in these things. And that, that Paul has a primary obligation going into the Gentile world, representing God before the Gentiles for the sake of the gospel. And that because of what Christ is doing, not because of Paul per se, but because of Paul's unique calling and equipping to proclaim this gospel in the world, he could be proud that God is working through him through the power of the gospel. And Paul's very clear, it's not me. I'm not even eloquent. But it is the word of God being proclaimed faithfully. And again, the power of God as manifested in the Spirit accomplishing uh, this particular work. And so, the gospel being proclaimed from Paul's lips is calling this Gentile world to the obedience of the gospel. That's how he opens the entire book. That his role was to preach a gospel calling men, women, and boys and girls to the obedience of the gospel. Now, one thing that I think is persistent in the Bible Belt that we live in here on the buckle of the Bible Belt in Birmingham, Alabama is the prevailing notion of what might be called nominal Christianity. That I made a decision or I had an experience or whatever. But any gospel by which you claim to have the hope of forgiven sin and eternity in heaven must be a gospel that takes deep root in your soul, transforming you away from disobedience toward obedience. The Bible simply doesn't recognize any type of gospel that does not call men and women and boys and girls to obedience to God. It doesn't recognize any salvation that does not result in a conformity to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. He's calling the world to come under the power of the gospel. And this gospel, in his case, had been testified to by the powerful workings of the Holy Spirit, by, by various signs and, and wonders. We won't get into to all of that today. But that Paul began at Jerusalem. He had already been as far west as Illyricum. And so he had, he had traveled far and wide uh, with uh, the gospel. And then he begins to kind of 
foreshadow what he wants to do. The gospel has gone around this eastern portion of the Mediterranean basin, and I want to go westward. I want to keep going west. I want to go. I want to go where 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 people. You know, he's not Captain Kirk on Star Trek, but he wants to go where Christians and missionaries have never gone before, because he knows that the gospel is God's power to save. And so, again, he's very interested in this Roman church. Why? I want to pass through. We're going to gather together. We're going to mutually encourage each other. I'm going to outlay my plan, and I want you to help me as I go forward. We'll see that uh, in, in the coming weeks. But what does Paul desire? He realizes the gospel is working across a broad spectrum of people. And people are coming into the church as we pray until the day Jesus comes back. The gospel will still be working powerfully to bring all kinds of different people into the church that have diverse preferences. We'll put it that way, okay? Now again, we're not talking about, well, you know, I really believe that you know, I can take the Koran or I can take the writings of Buddha and I can kind of blend these things together and I can come out with something that's very... No, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about syncretism. We're talking about founded on the gospel. What did Paul say? I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This foolishness of a crucified Jewish king raised from the dead who's coming back one day. Okay? So we're not talking about some kind of plurality or uh, syncretistic type of religion. We're simply talking about people that agree about the gospel, who determined to set aside petty preferences for the sake of being a great people for a great God and a great gospel. So Paul wants us to understand, yes, there's a unity to the church, that's right. It's right to make one confession to God. There's a diversity to the church. That's right. It should be there. For what? For the sake of a ministry of the gospel to all people in all places at all times. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for your truth, for your word. God, you, you have promised that where your word is proclaimed, that you will be present and that your power will be at work, that, that that very word never returns void. And so, Lord, we just depend upon your faithfulness. We believe you are who you say you are and you do what you say you will do. So bless your truth to the hearts of your people, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.